Welcome to Reforming Slavics. Uh, today we have Tom and me. My name is Nick. How you doing, Tom? Hey, Nick. I'm doing well. How are you? Yeah, I just we we were just talking about um, our topic, which which is on on hell and uh, the views of hell and how things shape out in regards to um, small minorities of people talking about what hell is and kind of the people who don't believe in hell at all. But I was just saying that hell is essentially a result of our um, need or God's need of justice in our in our lives, and so when we sin, there has to be punishment or due process. Um, there has to be some kind of judgment in regards to that. And some people deny that judgment, and some people kind of uh, address it by saying like everyone is going to get into heaven and things like that. But I mean, starting off, uh, what is hell? That's kind of a simple, easy question to answer. If you've been a Christian, you've been going to church all your life. Or you've heard characters of um, what Christians believe about hell. You know, pick any Hollywood movie. There are depictions of hell. Or some people might have heard of Dante's Inferno, which is essentially a uh, a picture of people horrendously being tortured and ripped apart and being poked with pitchforks and being boiled alive and, uh, you know, being roasted on fire, spits like that. And so, like, you know, Satan and his, and his demons are kind of essentially tor- tormenting you for all eternity. Yeah. So those are kind of some views that we, we just initially, pop culture, bring up in hell. But scripture also has definitions of hell and why we, we go there and how we get there. Um, Tom, do you have anything in regards to say about any pop cultural references of hell? Or not even pop cultural, just... Um, I just noticed, like, in popular culture it's kind of normal it, it almost sometimes it becomes like very comical you know they make very lightheartedness of hell yeah like far side cartoons uh, like yeah like you know there would be a lot of like but even like with simpsons episodes or like you know or just tom and jerry mm-hmm. you know just like even kid you know kids cartoons where it's just like oh yeah Tom Tom dies and he goes to hell and he's just getting poked, and the, but it becomes kind of funny. Yeah. So uh, let's start at the beginning. Um, God creates the heavens and the earth. Um, when does hell step into it? Like, have you ever thought of it? Like, when does hell start existing, or even Hades? Like, when when is when does that occur? Have you ever thought about that? Well, it says right. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Heavens is, it talks about heavens. It's not just talking about heaven. It's probably talking about everything in time, right? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. God create God himself created time. Yeah. And so it also says that, you know, that through him, all things were made. And without him, all, nothing was made that was made. Yeah. yeah. And so... In in those in that thinking, you would think that also everything, including hell, including uh, everything that happened. Of course, uh, we can't really see like what happened with the angels and like exactly when they fell. But we would assume that it was probably before He created the earth, right? But I would disagree with that. Like th- think about like here's the problem: God created the earth and heavens, and He said it was good on the seventh day. Oh. Right, so I would say like, well, where does where does that fit in? And I mean, what is hell? Like, if God, 
because it clearly says that um, in Matthew 25, uh, 20, 41, it says uh, that in that he says to the people who disobeyed him, depart from, from me, you cursed uh, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Um, so I would assume that hell was prepared sometime after the fall of Satan in order for him to be placed into as final judgment. Yeah. Even though his, his current domain, like he is, he is the prince of the power of the air. He is, um, the right, the lion who, you know, roars like he's the one who roars like a roaring lion. (laughs) It just, that was, that was very redundant. (laughs) Uh, but he, he's essentially the one who deceives men on earth and his time. will. some people believe his time came to an end and when, Jesus died on the cross and he was bound. Some people believe he'd be bound later, but essentially um, the idea of hell or like the, the place in which all um, demons and Satan will be thrown into is hell. Yeah. And I think all Christians can agree that once, you know, it says in the Bible, the enemy, once the enemy is defeated and that final enemy is death, that's when his final judgment, the devil and the angels will be judged and all those uh, would not have the name in the book of life. Yeah, because uh, in, in Revelation also it does mention that uh, Revelation fourteen nine and another angel, a third followed them, saying with a loud voice, "If anyone worships the beast, I got just got a text. Sorry, if anyone worships the beast, its image, and receives the mark on his forehead, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath poured." full strength into a cup of his anger and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels in the presence of the lamb and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever and they have no rest day or night these worshipers of the beast and its image whosoever receives the mark of his name and then he talks about saints enduring Um, so that's kind of a rough glimpse into the fact that all those who worship the beast, um, right? All those who do not follow or worship Christ will be thrown into the lake of yeah. fire. And obviously, um, the person that talked about hell the most was Jesus, right? When he was ministry on earth. You just look about like how little the Old Testament talked about, like, uh, like yeah, talked about Sheol, talked about, what is Sheol? Before we go on, what is Sheol? Uh, if I'm right, it just means like the place of the dead. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like I think I think way, that's the best explanation I've heard. Yeah, like David says, you know, though, like you will not leave me even to the place of Sheol. Like you won't depart from me. Mm-hmm. You'll still be with me. Sorry, go ahead. Um, but anyway, like, for example, like Matthew 13, you know, Jesus is talking and he says, The Son of Man will send forth his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Matthew 25, he says, Then he will also say to those on the left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which have been prepared for the devil and his angels. And just a little later it says, And those will go away into eternal punishment. But those, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Yeah. Right. And so we have clear um, view that this is an eternal, right, 
Like it's obvious, like the, the righteous will go into eternal life, but the unrighteous will go into eternal punishment. Some people, so there, there are some views that are small, but like we were just talking about a view that Chris Date holds to. Um, the idea is that, so here's the timeline. Christ comes and the resur- the resurrection of the saints occurs, right? Those who are dead in Christ will raise first. Then those who are alive will be changed in the blink of an eye. And then at the final judgment, all men are resurrected. Um, some to eternal life, some to eternal life, death. And what their interpretation is that the punishment that is accrued by all those who believe, sorry, that don't believe, is essentially God taking them and making not only their body but their soul annihilate or disappear like he maybe excruciatingly painfully does it or just with the snap of his finger like he makes their soul disappear and that that view is called annihilationism essentially the argument is that um because of the wages of sin is death death means that you will cease to exist in hell um but it's kind of difficult to (laughs) harmonize with the fact that there is clearly eternal life for those who are righteous and then there's as a contrast eternal punishment for those who um yeah. you know go and don't believe yeah and th- so it's like thinking through that logically how can you be eternally punished if you just cease to exist it wouldn't be an eternal you can't punish something that isn't you know eternal yeah, there, there's like, that, that You're going to stop being punished at some point, like according to the annihilationist, right? Yeah. And so there has to be a punishment. Some people believe that also there is this idea where you are punished only for a limited amount of sin. Like, how is it fair that God punishes um, a two-year-old or, or not a two-year-old, let's say a 20-year-old? for eternity he's only been capable of committing 20 years of sin and so some people say well um you know a person goes to hell for only the period of time in which they need to um i guess atone for their sins and after that they're annihilated right after they stop existing problem with that is um and this is actually something i've never thought about until i heard james white mentioning it when we die yeah we become sanctified in other words, when Christians die and we are resurrected into holy life, we are no longer capable of sin. And so we are holy, blameless, and there's no more sin in us. We're not able to sin. Mm-hmm. And people, for some reason, um, same here, assumed that when sinners die and unbelievers die, that they stop sinning. But the problem is when sinners die and they're resurrected to eternal judgment, yeah. they don't stop sinning. So why is that important? It, because if you if you're in hell and you don't stop sinning, you keep on accruing a debt that which you can't ever pay off, right? Um, forget the forget for example the argument that if you sin against the infinitely holy God, there's an infinite punishment for it. But the idea that uh, sinners who are in hell just stop sinning and they pay pay off their atoning. They atone for the things they've done. Well, yeah, that's true. But also, sinners in hell don't stop sinning. They continually get more selfish, more alone, more angry at God. Uh, you know, more depressed, more anxious, uh, more uh, just all the evil attributes which we have are now 
continually and exponentially multiplied for eternity. And on top of that, in this life, God ordains or preserves some people from accomplishing certain things, right? God limits the amount of evil that a person can commit. Like his his actual hand, in Thessalonians, God talks about the restraint that God possesses in regards to sin. So God restrains evil men from doing more, like being absolutely evil or yeah. evil to the extent that they can be. In hell, God's, God's hand of restraint is no longer there. And so men are... You know, capable and f- able to be as evil as they want to be, and uh, that that understanding or just that concept really made me uh, kind of it was kind of eye opening. Like God actually allows men to be who they want to be, and uh, they themselves are eternally just becoming more and more evil and more decrepit and more curmudgeonly. Yeah. And, yeah. So they they ultimately they decide that they. You know, like even in the parable that we have of some like of someone, you know, of someone actually like understanding that they're in hell and what's going on. They never ask. They never ask to like, God, please help me. Yeah. Or, like, I, I don't want to be here. The rich man and Lazarus. Yeah. His only concern is like, you know, is that, you know, no one else come here. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting that he never actually says, well, he asked, <laughs> the man is in hell, right? Uh, the rich man is in hell and he, he's being, tor- it says he's being tormented. And he never asks to get out. All he asks for is for Lazarus to dip some water and give him a water. That's all he asks for. He never actually, he never ever mentions like, you know, is there a way out? Is there a possibility to, and I'm not saying that people in hell wouldn't want to get out. I don't know. I assume when you're, when you are, you know, eternally being tormented, as scripture says, there is desire to be free from that. But I don't think that desire is turning to God. In other words, you're not turning to God for help. As a sinful human being, you worship yourself. You you always turn inwardly for, sat like satisfaction, right? People who seek satisfaction in sex and drugs and fulfillment, but ultimately it's yeah. in self. Yeah. And if you're seeking to satisfy yourself with yourself, eventually you run out. You 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 know you suck yourself dry, and when there's nothing left, there's eternity left ahead in hell. Yeah, because that person. Right. The only that person might be like, oh, I want to find a way out. And then God's like, well, the only way out is like, come turn to me. Yeah. And even if he had that chance, he wouldn't want to because he, he hates God and he didn't want to on Earth. What makes him, uh, you know, just, you know, the Bible says that that the world through God's creation, the world knows that they know God, but they suppress the truth in unrighteousness yeah. and that just because uh just because people would know like actually see for god for who he is that wouldn't all of a sudden regenerate their heart that wouldn't all of a sudden like give them desire to come after god which which brings up a really good point in regards to salvation um you know people assume that some people assume that people just choose to follow god because there is some kind of urging or desire for truth. And so they, they seek for God and they find him and they kind of grow a relationship. Obviously, God is the one who draws them near, but there is some initial desire or tug toward the truth. 
And that kind of falls apart when you realize that people in hell, um, they don't have that. And the reason they don't have that is the only way we're saved is actually by the gift of grace from God, right? By the Spirit. Yeah, the, the Spirit initiates the regeneration in our hearts. And the only way we can actually acknowledge God as our Lord and Savior is yeah. the, the grace of God. And if God takes away his grace, there's no there's no initiation into the idea of like, well, maybe I can be reconciled to God. Yeah. So, of course, we come after God, but he has to initiate it. Because the, the Bible says, Romans 8, that the flesh, would, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. They don't even want to submit to God. They're at enmity with God, which means they're at war with God. Yeah. But if you have the spirit, then Christ is in you. Then you you have the desire. You have the desire to come after him. Yeah, and it also boils down to the atonement. Um, hell is not only a place of conscious torment because we try to self-satisfy and yeah. we run dry and we kind of are empty. Um, the scripture does talk about <laughs> the lake of fire, right? Eternal fire. Uh prepared for yeah. the devils and his angels some people say that's metaphorical like it's a metaphorical fire or physical either way it's extremely excru- excruciating and bad yeah and the idea of like one of the words he used for hell was gehenna right which does that actually i don't remember if that actually translates to like hellfire well gehenna is like the, the the valley of death fire kind of area yeah hades also right it's a greek understanding of like actual hell fire yeah there's fire involved but it was you know he was pretty much using the term for a place where they would you know burn their trash they would burn they would burn bodies yeah right they would burn uh and it would just be a terrible smell and so whether even if these things were not like even if there's not going to be actual fire which they're probably like how do we know for like if the bible jesus keeps on saying fire like the only thing that we could consider is like it's going to be fire or it might be even worse like, yeah whatever analogy he's using from our human perspective like it, how could it be anything better than fire like being alone having your own thoughts consume and just being in outer darkness from from all the grace all the grace that we have here on earth we're not gonna have it we're not gonna have beautiful skies and things that even unbelievers are thankful for yeah and the thing is like people assume that they'll have people around them yeah let's like, go i'm gonna have a party in hell like yeah like, let's go i'm gonna hit it up with hitler right you're gonna be absolutely alone by yourself without any communication with anyone else because that's what sin does. It, you you shrink into yourself and you become self-occupied, selfish, and self-absorbed. And you want to worship yourself. But when you're not when you don't have the worthiness to be worshipped, like you know, God is worthy of worship, and therefore it's fitting, and therefore he satisfies our hearts because we are made to worship and glorify him, and that is satisfactory to us. Yeah. When you try to satisfy yourself with yourself, you self-consume and there's nothing there's nothing there. It's like trying to drink sand. Um, and so uh, that on top of the torment of eternal hellfire is, is quite a, like, it is horrifying. I was thinking today that, you know, a lot of people say, well, we are supposed to be drawn toward God because of his love, because the kindness of God leads us to repentance. That's, you know, that's Romans. Um, but truthfully, for me, it's both. I mean, I am terrified of hell, to be honest. Like, hell does not sound like anything I would ever want to experience. That You know, 
I also am, am uh, attracted or, or drawn to God because of his love and his grace, but it's because of his love and his grace that I'm not going to hell that I'm mm-hmm. attracted to him also, right? Yeah. So, uh, I mean... So it has to be has to be kind of... You have to have a balance because, you know, there's people extreme go to the extreme of, oh, just preaching hellfire, just preaching the wrath of God. And that that ultimately leads you to like a unbalanced view of God. And then you could go to the other view where it's just like God is completely love and you never talk about the wrath of God. Yeah. Well, mentioning the wrath of God, um, hell is not only like self self-inflicted pain. But it's also the outplaying or like the outpouring of the wrath of God. We just read the verse in Revelation 14 where it says that uh, the wine of God's wrath poured full strength in a cup with his anger and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of his holy angels in the presence of the Lamb. Yeah, in the presence of the Lamb. And the reason the Lamb is there is because Christ himself, and this goes back to the atonement Christ himself, when he dies on the cross, he actually accomplishes something. Christ, when he dies, he hangs on the cross, and he is giving sour wine to drink. Yeah, I This is my personal interpretation, and I haven't checked it out all the way, but I think that's representative of the wrath of God that's being poured out as a cup of wine onto Christ for those who he's atoning for. That's the same cup that he's mentioning in the Garden of Gethsemane where he says, Father, let this cup pass over, but not my will be done, but yours. So there's this representation of God drinking the wrath of God on the behalf of those whom he's dying for. And when he's dying on the cross, his last words are tetelestai, right? It is finished. The debt has been paid. And so God pays the wrath or he takes the wrath upon himself that we deserve. And when we trust in Christ, he atones that atonement is applied to us and yeah. we have perfect righteousness. Yeah. But those who are left outside of that covenant with Christ, those who do not accept his free gift of grace through repentance are left without any cover are left without anyone taking the wrath on their behalf. And so then when hell, they are experiencing the just reward for their sin, which is the wrath of God. Yeah. I th- um, interesting. Like, Talking to people that are universalist or believe that ultimately God will save every person. Um, I was talking to someone and they were saying that their view is that, yes, people might go to hell, but ultimately in the end, God will will win them over with his love. Mm-hmm. Like Even if they have to spend a thousand years in hell, eventually the love of God will win and God will save everybody. But the question is, who's going to pay for the sin that they deserve? They would say Jesus. But Jesus already paid. And that's the problem we we see right in, in Hebrews. Hebrews says Christ died once in for all sin. So, so, so all the sin that ever will be atoned or paid for is no longer, it's been done. There's no longer nest like Paul, like not Paul, but the writer of Hebrews says, there's no longer a necessary sacrifice for sin because yeah. Christ did it once and for all. And so all the sin that's ever yeah, been going to be paid for. it says the priest doesn't enter into the house. Like he's, he's the, the priest had to enter the house, the Holy of Holies every year. Yeah. But it said that Jesus did it once, once and for all, for all sin. And so we have this uh, dilemma where 
Christ already atoned for sin and those for whom Christ died are already with him. And there's no more sacrifice left for yeah. those who are in hell. And they can never pay off their unrighteous debt. One, because they offended a holy and infinite God. But two, because they never stop sinning. Because in hell, people continue to sin and keep on accruing the debts that they owed that they can never pay. Right? That initially... As we live here on earth, we can never atone for the debt that we've already incurred. Yeah. And that's why an infinite God had to die for us, not just some mere human being. And so those people in hell, even if they spend eternity, let's say they spend thousands and thousands of years in torment, that is not enough to cover their sin. And that's that's the all like that's what makes you in awe of this um realization that one, uh, God's wrath is just and, and it will come. It is being revealed, but it will come and it will be poured out. And two, um, if it were not for the grace of God and Christ's atonement, we all would end up there. And just recognizing that like Christ's atonement, Christ's atonement on the cross is the only thing that holds us and gives us eternal life and, and gives us redemption Right, and it throws out the window the idea of somehow atoning through purgatory or atoning ourselves by doing good works or anything, anything that we can bring up in regards to our benefit up to God. Like we can't bring anything up to show to God that we deserve something. It is, it is either eternal wrath or eternal salvation and eternal life. Yeah, and the the amazing thing is that you know, Bible says we've already been seated with Him in heavenly places. Like this salvation is so sure that we are already with him in in all in, in the heavenly places. We are we can already enter to the Holy of Holies. We have that access. It's 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 that sure that we already have a place, you know? Yeah. Jesus says, um, you will be with me. And if there wasn't a place, I go. I will go to prepare one when I go out to heaven. And he also mentions the fact that um, eternal life, the eternal life that we will have in heaven, we already possess. Uh, whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, rivers of living water will flow from within him. Yeah. Right, that, that was John. By, by this, he meant the spirit whom those whom believed in him were later to receive up to that time the spirit has not been given since Jesus had not been yet glorified. Um, the, the initial eternal life experience starts when we recognize Christ as our Lord and Savior. And at repentance, we are granted eternal life. It's not, um, our pastor was recently preaching in regards to what eternal life is. It's, there's two options for life, um, right? Bios, where biology comes from, it's the idea that biological life it's the organic matter of plants trees and human beings but there's another word for it which is zoi like the yogurt the greek yogurt that says zoi on it which means like the essence of life like the life that is with abundance the life that has some kind of joy mixed in with the satisfaction of being truly alive it has nothing to do with physical um you know biology biological life it is the soul life 
And that is what we possess in Christ because he did already receive the wrath of God on our behalf. He's already paid and atoned for our sin. And now we don't, we don't fear hell because death has lost its sting. We don't fear death because there's no more wrath left for us to atone for. That's why we don't need to do anything. No works are necessary to attain salvation. We don't need to appease God with anything that we do. Yeah. As you were talking about earlier, um, I kind of wanted to say this. I just remembered it again that we were, you were talking about how you were, uh, right. There is a healthy kind of fear, right? If you, you don't want to go to hell, but at the same time, that's not the only reason, right? The goodness of God is a, is another reason if not the main reason that you now see that why you want to be in heaven. But the person the, the you can be going to church your whole entire life. You can be extremely religious, extremely devoted to God. But if you just go into church and all those things, just because you have the fear of going to hell, ultimately, if you're not, if you don't have the spirit of God to tell you like, Hey, God is so good and has revealed it to you. Then ultimately God's going to say, depart from me. You workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Yeah, because we never knew him for who he was. And ultimately, like, that's a scary thought because there's many people possibly in our churches and very real that they could just be going to church because they're scared, like, out of the wrong motivations. Because ultimately they would rather, like, there's like a quote that says like they people would rather be in hell if that doesn't mean they don't have to be with God, right? Like they wish they could go to heaven as long as God wasn't there. Yeah. That's that's kind of like the but to yeah, to me it almost seems as though like there's a healthy healthy fear of, of hell like I I think anyone who hears the description of of scripture in regards to what hell is their initial reaction would be fear. I don't. I don't see. I don't see an any other option. Well, yeah, of, that's of, that's what you see, like in Hebrews. Like I, I don't see an, another way of approaching the topic of hell without being afraid of, you know. Well, it's no a, one would want to be. It's a reverent type of fear. Yeah, it's an understanding of God who he is through through respect. But also, like I think it's it's a, I get a healthy dose of fear when I'm when I'm uh, kind of not being not being uh, truly. I'm not truly abiding in Christ. I'm not following him. And uh, I don't have that zoy, like the the eternal life in in, in my heart when I'm, you know, being mundane or being in in, uh, some kind of just malaise. And and the jerk uh, to reality that I get in regards to what hell really is, when when I think or ponder about it, it's like, oh, maybe I should uh, kind of reconsider my life, repent, and more zealously pursue God and want to know him more and, uh, you know, continue cultivating that love for him because that is a great motivator to recognize that, you know, we don't want to go to the eternal place of torment, but we can't get to heaven just by the motivation of eternal torment. Like we have to have the motivation of truly loving Christ for what he did on the cross for us, for who he is and for the, for the changes that he's making in our hearts as we're, you know, being more sanctified as we pursue knowing him in scripture. Yeah. Like we have to have, uh, 
the understanding of of holiness of pursuing god you know of becoming like that's what it's like even in hebrews 12 it talks about you know god being a consuming fire and talking about how he will discipline his children the people the, the children that he that he loves right it says verse uh, 28 of hebrews 12 it says therefore let us not be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and thus let us offer to god acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our god is a consuming fire and then it talks about right before that it's like at that time his voice shook the earth but now he has promised yet once more i will not i will shake not only the earth but also the heavens this phrase yet once more indicates that the removal of things that are sh that are shaken that is things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain right it talks about like hey if we reject him god is a consuming fire how can we escape him yeah. uh, like verse 25 for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth much less we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven yeah uh when jesus when jesus is baptized no sorry when jesus is getting baptized um no john is baptizing um there's a quote that says who uh, like notified you or he's talking to the pharisees and sadducees he says oh brood of vipers who warned you to flee the wrath to come yeah uh, there is a impending judgment that is accelerating you know to ha to this earth and we may be some people may be accelerating to it through their death but like all things come to an end and that end will come for everybody and so knowing that if if we do accept Christ and we follow him, that there is eternal life to be had, and the opposite is eternal damnation, eternal hell. Um, Jesus says, fear not him who can throw, kill the body and destroy the body, but fear him who can destroy the body and the soul and throw it into eternal damnation or, or eternal fire. God is the one who judges and he places people in hell. Yeah. Because it is it is it is the due punishment for the sin that we incur. And so what do you think about the like I see a popular quote oh like a saying that says, Oh, people don't God doesn't send people to hell. People decide to go there. Or in other words, hell is just the absence of God or like people people choose willingly to go to hell and God honors their wishes. Yeah. But but ultimately well, let's say let's say that that would that would be true, right? Let's yeah. say that people choose to go to hell, or God just honors their wishes and God doesn't send them there. One, we still have the passage of scripture that God is the one who throws the body and soul to hell. That's kind of a difficult verse to go by, but also it negates the idea of the wrath of God. If if the only consequence for people who live life without acknowledging who He is and war against God in this life, if the only consequence of warring against God on this on this earth is just god leaving you alone where's the justice like where's the wrath aspect of the scripture come in right if hell is only just a place where god lets sinners do their thing yeah that's true god let leave sinners alone to be consumed by themselves and and to you know be tormented by themselves but also there's an aspect of his wrath like his actual punishment 
coming upon sin, which is justly deserved. Yeah. People negate the idea that God actively will punish sinners for the sin that they committed, just like he actively punished his son on our behalf to redeem us from our sin. Yeah. I think people, the unfortunate thing is that um, I don't think we understand the seriousness, the seriousness of sin. Uh, maybe because it's not preached a lot, like especially through the Old Testament to just show like God will literally take his own people you know, through the desert over and over again, let him be exiled, let him be punished by foreign countries, let him go through all this stuff just to remind them, hey, there is no other gods before me, just to remind them, this is who I am. Like, you have heart in your heart over and over again, Israel, but, like, I'm sending my spirit, and, like, you, you will, I will cause you to walk in my statutes, I will cause you to do this. And like sin is so serious that it it only took one sin to send all of earth into the spiral. To quite literally damn humanity. Yeah. Yeah. Like you mentioned Israel. Like how many people out of the entire uh, the horde of people who left Egypt entered the promised land? Two. Like Caleb and Joshua. That was it. And and so all those perished in the desert because of unbelief. And so there is a really real consequence that is palpable in, in in Scripture that it's not just some kind of poof, you vanish into the ether once you die. It is conscious, real torment and punishment from God for your lawless deeds. Yeah. And people, you know, I don't know, one of the objections might be like, but God, you know, God's all about his love and forgiveness. And yeah, he is. And that's why he killed his own son on our behalf. And that was the sacrifice that was the guarantee of our salvation. But if we choose to ignore that, uh, Hebrews says there's quite literally nothing left. And so what abides is the wrath of God that is coming. Yeah, The, the wrath of God is not a characteristic that he... he um, can express or use prior to the fall. Like before human beings fell, there was no need for the wrath of God. It, it was just, there was no need for it. Like who, who would God punish when his anger, if there is no sin, no one, but the wrath of God is actually an outworking or, a um, active part of his love and his justice. God has been always just, and he's always been loving in yeah. order to act out his love toward all creation he has to eliminate evil which happens to be humans right like god can't just eliminate evil without us we are the causes of evil we we, we are the ones who are sinning so in order to eliminate sin he has to eliminate all those who sin and uh that is loving toward all creation because he's taking away the curse and it's also absolutely just because that is, in fact, what we deserve. Scripture is clear, right? The wages of sin is death. Yeah. We have violated a holy God. The earth was a lot better before, like, we arrived. Like, Well, <laughs> sin, yeah. Before we sinned. Yeah. We, we, we are the, like, we, we did arrive because of God's creation. But yeah. we, as in those who've fallen, yeah, the earth was a lot better before the, the fallenness of Adam and Eve. Yeah, because 
you know, the earth and everything that was, everything listened and obeyed God. The waves, the wind, the creatures, they all honor and glorify God. And then man comes and says, no, God, I will not listen to you. And it's just like crazy, you know, <laughs> just to just say, no, I won't do it. Yeah, and it, it was the it was the idea that uh, Eve had was they will know good and evil and they will be like gods, and so uh, I guess because of God's grace, God took a pause there and He allowed you know us to continue living as humanity until yeah. Christ comes and redeem us. That pause stops once we die and there's judgment, and it continues and people do consider themselves to be gods and worship themselves as gods in hell. Like the movie continues, but without Christ and God, they, God allows human beings to play out that narrative of, Hey, I'm going to be my own God. I'm going to worship myself. And it turns out that every, every time we decide to worship ourselves and we, we consider ourselves to be God, we get Mao and we get Stalin and we get uh, sadistic people and we get pedophiles and we get extremely evil people because when we decide what is good and evil, we no longer have a standard of God's goodness, yeah. right? And so that is what hell is. All those aspects are incorporated in the final judgment. And not only all only those aspects, but like it says here, the devil and all his angels. Um, that's kind of a encapsulation of something to fear. And so running to Christ to be freed from that is is like that does motivate me in my life. Every single time I consider the wrath of God and like hell itself. It always, it truly makes me double check my life and, you know, reconsider what I'm doing and how I'm living life. And um, it is a healthy fear that I have. And I, I'm thankful for the sacrifice of Christ. And it makes it so much more palatable when I recognize what I was saved from. Yeah. What do you think is a healthy way or... How much should a church preach on hell? Every Sunday. I'm just kidding. I don't know, but it should be mentioned. Like, yeah. whenever you discuss the cross or the punishment of Christ on the cross, like the death of Christ, or even salvation, like, the question always comes up, what were you saved from? Right? Mm -hmm. Not only was it you know, my my loneliness or my broken relationships. Your, your, your fullest potential. Or my fullest potential, right? But also the wrath of God primarily because that is what Christ takes upon himself on the cross. And also my fullest potential happens to be very sinful and evil. And so Christ mm. delivers me from my sin. He delivers me from the wrath of God. Yeah. And he delivers me to eternal life. Yeah. And so I, I think as a gospel presentation, hell and the punishment for rejecting Christ should be placed somewhere in there. Yeah, because there's a way, I think, to talk about your fullest potential. But oftentimes that could become like such like physical, uh, just merely physical things. I mean, you see, like, you see the word of faith, right? Yeah. Because ultimately it would be like Christ died Christ died so you could become your fullest potential. 
right? So he could have the best business and all these things, but it's like so much more. He died. He The story of the good news is that he died so that you may be restored to, with relationship to the Father. And what the Father is doing throughout all of eternity and throughout the rest of human history is he's make, he's saving he's saving humanity and he's he's uh, he's establishing his kingdom he's establishing uh his reign and he he is king right now yeah and what that means more specifically is that um all aspects of life can be and will be redeemed in in the final day of judgment in other words you will never get away with anything here on earth if you, you know, get away with it in regards to the law or punishment or retribution from anything that you've done, all things will be revealed in, in, in heaven and on Judgment Day. And if you did not flee to Christ as your Redeemer, you are left without cover. Um, and so just recognizing that the kingdom of God means that He is King and we are the servants and slaves are the most high God um, makes us one reach our full potential. Cause our full potential, like what is the chief end of man to glorify God and enjoy him forever? Like we actually reach our full potential when we recognize the role we need to play in life. And yeah. that gives us the most satisfaction and the most joy when we recognize yeah. that his kingdom is our, our participation. Yeah, and it's like you could glorify God through everything that you do. Whatever you eat or drink, do for the glory of God. And ultimately, when you feel like you've failed, you have to look back at the good news over and over again because you never ultimately glorify God perfectly. But that's not the point. It's not about you. It's about what Christ has done for you. Yeah, the good news is that we have been saved from the wrath of God, and He is the one who redeemed us. And now He allowed he, His death gave us the ability to not only be redeemed, but also to be adopted into God's family and to participate in His kingdom. I, I think that's kind of the crowning yeah. good news, uh, right? It is not only that we've been saved from hell and from wrath, but also we've been adopted as you mentioned as sons and daughters into his kingdom and now all the things we do eat or drink or participate in any activity work family life uh, tragedy joy all those things are wrapped and redeemed through the cross and will be fully restored and uh, reconciled when he comes again yeah so how do you think how do you think we should it's kind of like such a broad question, but like preaching, I mean, like evangelizing. So uh, I, I often like, I don't know. Sometimes I've been like shown an example, um, you know, like back in the day, like I would, would go and would go in and like pray for people, you know, like Bible school would pray for people. And then like, Hey, God really loves you. Like, he thinks you're awesome. He he. It's like, man, I just want to encourage you and stuff like that. Like, at what point? Like, of course, we can t- share the love of God and the good news, but oftentimes it almost seems like, uh, you know, maybe we're on the opposite of the spec spectrum or the opposite of the pendulum where like we only want to like not scare people off. 
right? Yeah. Um, Ray Comfort does a really good job of that, right? He presents the law, which are the Ten Commandments, and he contrasts that to your accomplishments, and clearly you fail to obey and accomplish the Ten Commandments. And so he says, well, because you have failed, there's repercussions to that, which is judgment. And if you approach ju- Judgment Day, if that was today, would you be guilty or innocent? And you would be guilty. So there is a need for your redemption. And um, I wouldn't go as far as to say that, you know, you telling someone God loves you at, at an event or at an encounter is bad. But I would question its fruitfulness, right? You're like, saying just that. Just that. Like, I would question, like, the fruitfulness of just mentioning God loves you. Because who is God? Why does he love me? Why do I care that God loves me? You know, well, or like one preacher is like, go, God loves me. I love me too. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, and I, I think, you know, circumstances vary, but in order to present, if you're, if you're mentioning evangelism, right. Or evangelizing in order to present the gospel, the good, which is evangelia, the good news, you have to present what the good news is and why that person should care about it. Right. The good news is Christ's death on the cross and his receiving of the cup of wrath that he he paid for that we deserve. You have to make that application. You broke the law. Now you deserve punishment. And unless you make that clear, there is wrath that is coming and there is something you can flee to. You can flee to Christ. He is the strong tower which you can hide in. A mighty fortress is our God, you know, uh, the great hymn. And if you don't make that story painted out, yeah, Radio Free Geneva, if you don't paint that story out, you cannot um, boldly say or confidently say, like, yeah, I presented the gospel, the good news to that person. Like, you need to incorporate those things. Yeah. It's interesting, the, you know, like Jonathan Edwards' sermon uh, sinners in the hands of an, of an angry God. Uh, probably America's like most popular sermon. Yeah, we we actually went over in high school, like really how, what, six years ago now, seven. It's like, and people often, uh, you know, they they don't really like that sermon. Even as Christians, they kind of say like, "Man, what an angry man!" He just like they kind of look at his most popular work. And it's not like he chose he chose that as like his most popular topic. It just happened to be the most like compelling and like shocking, like and maybe just like very well written or something like that. I don't know the exact reason why it was so popular. But he just preached through he just preached through like the whole counsel of God. And if you look, he has many, many sermons talking about the love of God. Uh he has a whole entire series, you know, going through first Corinthians thirteen. Like multiple, like ton of ton of sermons just talking about what love is, you know, and that comes from from Christ. But obviously, obviously, um, something happened when he preached that sermon is that people were physically distraught, like they literally started crying and wailing. He wasn't even able to finish the sermon because people understood their their need. For God, like if you read that sermon, the whole entire thing is just, 
just like constantly begging someone like do not drive off that cliff because there is a danger like you know danger is not non like refundable yeah. or not not refundable non you can't re- reverse it not reversible there's there is eternal consequence for the rejection of who god is and rejection of the sacrifice yeah. that christ provided and that was that you know obviously he was preaching that in a church and you know we would be kind of um <clears throat> we would be kind of ignorant if we thought like everybody in our church doesn't need to hear the good news like or doesn't need to be evangelized like obviously we should assume that everyone is christian but at the same time encourage a hey, you, you don't um you, you always have to uh i don't know exactly remind yeah. i think yeah we always need to be reminded of of the good news because if we forget the good news we often forget the consequence of not believing it right and so so essentially i think the best way of approaching hell or or discussing hell is always recognize that the atonement of Christ is available and present and we should flee to the altar and repent of our sin because of the awaiting judgment. Um, while you're still breath in our lungs, we have the opportunity to flee to uh, Christ and be re- re- redeemed and have all that sin removed because there is a awaiting, a looming judgment. It is not just the disappearance of your body and being eaten by worms and you no longer exist. It's just darkness, but there is an afterlife and the afterlife for those who follow Christ is eternal life. And for those who do not is eternal damnation and all that's in, you know, encompassing that in regards to torment or loneliness or just extreme fear and anxiety and and self-loathing. I mean, I can't really describe hell because I've never been there, but from what Scripture discusses, it is both the self-consuming, trying to find satisfaction like the rich man trying to drop, find a drop of water and only find, you know, sand and dirt. And metaphorically speaking, like he, he could not be, quen- his ter- thirst could not be quenched. And also the wrath of God being poured out as punishment and judgment. I think those are like the two things that hell consists of God's punishment and our own um, sinfulness being exponentially grown. I don't know. That's pretty much hell. This is not a great topic to talk about in regards to like beer and cheery. I was, I was, my wife was, I was just talking to my wife. I'm like, yeah, you mentioned hell and that kind of made my mood drop, but it's, it's not a, it's not, um, the more you think about it, it's not a topic that you want to spend a lot of time consumed about because it is so dark and people who go there cannot get out and there is no way of escape. It is the final judgment of God. That should motivate us to evangelize that should motivate us to live our lives according to um god's law and pursuing his grace and repentance Um, i think that's a great motivator and also a great balancing of understanding like 
hell is there, but also God's, God's grace is the thing that saved me from there. And so I love him for who he is.